When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to uh, What's the Crack interview episode. Um, I'm going to be talking today uh, with Dr. Gail Gilchrist and we're going to be talking about um, perpetrators and perpetration of intimate partner violence uh, to link up with the podcast we did uh, a couple of months ago with um, Karen Bailey. So I'm here with uh, Dr. Gail Gilchrist. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yep. Hi. Thanks for asking me. Um, So I am a senior lecturer in the addictions department at the Institute of Psychiatry, Psychology and Neuroscience. And my research has focused um, for about the past 20 years on, um, I guess, more taking a gendered approach to looking at substance use and mental health and childhood abuse, domestic violence and and so on. And more laterally thinking about um, how we could possibly develop interventions to address some of these issues. Okay. Um, And... That work that you do, um, just to kind of introduce the area that we're going to, you've done quite a lot of work with um, victims and perpetrators yeah. of, uh, of intimate partner violence. Um, and how, how has that work differed or how has how is that kind of grown? Well, I mean, I, I think there's some, unfortunately, some common risk factors for both victimisation and perpetration. And um, when we're looking at substance users... Um, not all substance users obviously but when we're talking about people who've experienced violence or perpetrate violence there's quite often a sort of um, high comorbidity high multiple disadvantage so some of that contextual stuff obviously um, feeds into to people's lifestyles and lives and and the experience that they they have or perpetrate so yeah my PhD many years ago was looking at um, psychiatric comorbidity among women who use drugs and that's when um, there's a very high prevalence of childhood abuse and um, domestic violence uh, and also violence during uh, working and sex trading and so on was highlighted and then you also look at well at least 50% or higher of women in drug treatment and alcohol treatment have partners who are also substance users so sort of followed on from that that they must also be the people who were perpetrating violence so we started um, looking at that um, and that was probably now yeah a good eight years ago or something was the first okay. study we started and so, so is that something so you, I mean you've been working in this area for say uh, 20 years or yeah. so is that um, how has the um, the focus on perpetration changed in that time was it something that was looked at uh, well, I think it ago? has because I think um, sort of historically uh, the focus, and, and rightly so, was on um, 
victims or survivors and, and how they could be assisted. Um, and, and I guess the sort of treatment approaches for men uh, was generally through uh, criminal justice and we know that they at the moment I think it's about 10, well criminal justice and community services um, and criminal justice I think in our study something like 15% of men had ever been arrested okay. um, for, for perpetration of violence so there's a huge amount of unmet need there okay. and at the moment we know community services um, for, for or community perpetrator services so where, where men either volunteer or, or are referred um, I think they only met, meet about 10% of, of demand so it's okay. so a huge amount of unmet need so we're looking at seeing whether delivering sort of interventions that look at substance use and um, perpetration would be better delivered in substance use treatment services if possible. Okay. A lot of the associations I guess between addiction, between substance use, between intimate partner violence and, and, perpet- and particularly thinking about perpetration, what I mean is there and why is there such a link between um, uh, intimate partner violence and uh, substance misuse? Obviously not all men who abuse or use substances or who are in treatment for for, um, substance use perpetrate violence towards their partner. But we know that about 4 in 10 men in substance use treatment have been physically or sexually violent towards their partner um, in the last uh, last year of their relationship and that increases to about 7 in 10 men um, when we talk about psychological abuse. Obviously... You know, I've heard Karen's podcast, and and um, she rightly so criticises the the assessments that are used in these kinds of studies, which might talk about events rather than yeah. a sort of pattern of of behaviour. And how do, how does that four in ten and seven in ten? How does that relate to like the general population? Well, f- again, there's not that great estimates of, of yeah. perpetration. There's more better estimates of, of, of victimisation. But from the studies that we have looked at, it would suggest it's about... It, it, they're all higher, but there's some studies would suggest they're about four times higher wow. in substance-using men in treatment than men in the general population. But it's also higher among men in the general population in those kind of population studies or other clinical studies where men have... Um, issues with with drugs or alcohol and similarly if you look at populations that are arrested or in treatment for um, domestic violence perpetration they also have higher rates of substance use so there's definitely something going on there Um, you know but you know I would clearly state that there's no one single factor or one single reason that explains why some men are more likely to be violent um, than others, you know, okay. there's lots of factors have been reported, including substance use, so things like lower so- socioeconomic status, abuse in childhood, witnessing childhood, um, witnessing violence between your parents in childhood, okay. um, mental health problems, higher anger expression, you know, other general forms of, of, of violence. Um, sort of support of, of um, gender-specific roles or, and also as a sort of acceptance that violence against women is, 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 is okay, they all contribute to, um, I guess, to, to intimate partner violence. But, but alcohol and, and I'd say cocaine and, and sort of methamphetamine-type drugs have consistently been shown to be a, a risk factor for, for engaging in violence. And a recent review that's just come out has... Um, I guess concluded that you know alcohol use is as strong a, a, a predictor than you know some of the other factors that have been more traditionally put forward, such as support for for gender specific roles or anger or, or, or poor marital functioning. But I mean, I can go on to talk a little bit about um, you know why alcohol and drugs might be 
you know, a specific yeah, or, or um, a more specific role, if that would be of help. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the the first part of, of, of what you were saying there is that is that there's is there a suggestion that that some of the things that lead people to um, say addiction, some of those you know things like socioeconomic status yeah. and um, uh, childhood abuse, you know, kind of having a, a pretty bad life. Yeah. Some of those things increase people's risk for substance misuse as well as increasing their yeah, risk for intimate partner yeah. violence. It's very complex, the, the interplay between all of those multiple disadvantage and, okay. I guess, lifestyle. Yeah, and then and then on top of that, to kind of compound that, there's, there's then very strong associations with uh, substance misuse, particularly, you were saying, with alcohol. And, and it's interesting, isn't it, that you have those substances, you have alcohol, you have uh, cocaine and methamphetamine, I think you... Yeah. you mentioned and but I think it, the reason that um, you know they're coming out as, as strong predictors is mm. when people are looking or, or people think of the role of substances specifically around the role of intoxication and that okay. those kinds of drugs may facilitate um, you know a specific response but I think there's a you know there's a lot more potential explanations okay. um, than that and also there's different kinds of perpetrators so you know very basically um, there's people or in this case we're talking about men who perpetrate severe and escalating forms of violence so that's the sort of terrorization and threats controlling behavior as well as um, multiple forms of, of abuse and then there's others who um, may perpetrate a more moderate form of, of relationship violence you know, so arguments and frustration and anger can lead to, to arguments and so on. Okay. Um, and, and we've been trying to look at whether, you know, whether these typologies do fit with alcohol and drug use, and I think they don't necessarily, and I think there's you know, different things for different people at different times and, <laughs> uh, and all the rest of it. So um, it's more complicated than Yeah, I think saying. it's extraordinarily complicated, unfortunately, as, as most of these things are. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, I think... We know things like alcohol or physical harm is more likely and more severe on days where people have been heavy drinking. But again, it's what is the nature of that that contribution. So there's, you know, there's in our culture there's a very strong expectation that you know alcohol facilitates violence, mm-hmm. um, and so substance users might or, or people might blame the substance. Um, but certainly, you know, there's there's the argument that it's the pharmacological properties of the substance that lead to impaired cognitive functioning, or cognitive processing. Sorry, that could result in violence or, or inhibition. Is or inhibition. Yeah. So exactly as I said, you know, the substance use might cause arguments that lead to violence and and, and so on, or that they're completely unrelated but they have a shared risk factor. Okay. Um, you know, sort of what you were talking about earlier um, and then there's another sort of argument for well people who are not generally violent that alcohol or drugs might be that mechanism for, for reducing um, you know I guess their perceived threat um, or threshold when they might be violent but the work that we've been um, doing uh, so my colleague uh, Faye has, has been looking at lots of uh, qualitative studies around both perpetrator and, and victim accounts of, of how substance use might feature. And it's not just about, you know, it's, it's quite a complex, um, I, I guess, intersection. So it's not just about thinking about intoxication. It's around, okay. you know, so that's when 
you know, why it's still high among people with uh, who are using drugs like heroin and other drugs. Yeah. Um, it's the sort of whole lifestyle. So it's when you're in withdrawal. It's when you've got no money for drugs. Yeah. It's when you're arguing over um, drugs and and other things. Whole crime, array of, crime of things. But I also think what we found, um, so myself and, and Polly Radcliffe, or Polly led this um, qualitative research again, looking at, you know men who had perpetrated, or women in substance use treatment who had perpetrated violence and, and their sort of explanations um, of, of, of how substance use featured in that. And it was quite similar to what I've just talked about. But also within all of the accounts, this sort of um, dominance and acceptance of male and female roles. And, okay. you know, um, they sort of pr- provide a context for, um, you know, almost making intimate partner violence explicable and acceptable. Interesting. So, um, and, and does that change um, internationally in societies where those kind of gendered expectations are different, do you know? Well, I mean, the research would suggest in, in, in societies where, um, you know, there is more gender inequality or more support for um, for violence towards women as being acceptable or gender inequitable roles, that, that they've had higher intimate partner violence um, prevalences, which... So we... we um, did a study comparing men in substance use treatment in London and the southeast of England with okay. men in treatment in Sao Paulo, Sao Paulo in, in Brazil. Okay. Um, and we looked at emotional, physical, sexual, uh, intimate partner violence. We also looked at controlling behaviour and what we've called technology-facilitated abuse, so like checking people's GPS, Technol- checking them... Yeah. Wow. So checking people's phones, setting up tracking devices in people's phones, checking their messages, Facebook pages, those kinds of things. That's really interesting. Um, I, I, it's, it's so obvious now you say it, but yeah. I, I hadn't thought of the role yeah. of technology in, um, in abuse. That's yeah, really it, it, it's certainly, um, as technology progresses, it sort of makes these kinds of things a lot easier. Yeah. And, and I, I guess lots of people don't think of that. Yeah. Um, so... So yeah, we I mean we did find um, we did find differences between the the in the prevalence and also the risk factors um, in both treatment settings. So for example, um, in in England, uh, well there was no difference in in emotional um, intimate partner violence. I think that was about sixty three percent in both um, okay. sites. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But then when we looked at physical violence, um, men in England were more likely to, to um, have perpetrated physical violence. That was 60% versus 51%. Okay. But then when we look in at sexual violence, men in Brazil were more likely to perpetrate sexual violence than men in, in England. Okay. So 16% versus 6%. So we started to, um, you know, I'll go on to talk about the risk factors as well, but we started to think, you know, why, why might that be? Because, if you, you know, we would have expected... Um, differences between the countries based on, yeah. on, on on what I just said. So we think it's more to do probably with the, the makeup of the the client group that we had in, in, in each um, country because we know that in England um, the men in treatment had more support for gender equitable relations and, and, and attitudes, um, better attitudes towards gender roles than the men in Brazil did. Okay. But we sort of think that the, the explanation for um, the higher physical violence, as I said, is to do with the differences um, between the two client groups. So in in England, we had a much higher um, prevalence of homelessness, unemployment, people receiving benefits, um, higher childhood violence, higher injecting, more polydrug use, higher physical criminality, weapons, all sorts of things that we didn't see in the the cohort in Brazil. But then when we think of um, why Brazil might be more likely to have a higher uh, prevalence of... of, um, Sexual violence. Well, they had uh, a higher proportion of men who'd been uh, unfaithful to their wife or their partners. Okay. You know, in some of the questions that we asked, they were more likely to agree or strongly agree with statements like, um, you know, if a woman doesn't physically fight back, it's not rape, or that a woman can't refuse to have sex with her husband. Okay. And so, some of those things might explain. You know, we don't have a, 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 a full-on explanation, yeah. but these are the sorts of things we're thinking might. Um, you know, might account for some of the differences. There's some, uh, from from what I can I can gather there. So there's some cultural differences in, in the makeup of people attending drug treatment services. Yeah. Um, so in the UK, they tend to be more poly drug user. I mean, they were m- more in treatment for drug use and okay. poly drug use um, than they were in in. I think it was a higher proportion of treatment for alcohol in uh, okay. in Brazil. Oh, interesting. Uh, and obviously cocaine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, and was there was there any difference in the amount of people who were referred through criminal justice settings, or or are they kind of similar? It's similar setup because we did spend a bit of time in in seeing around the services and things like okay. that. Um, so yeah, it's it's all voluntary. There was a lot of commonalities in the risk factors, but you know things like anger or higher anger expression and and a greater number of childhood adversities. Um, were, were definitely 
you know, associated with with different kinds of violence in both in both settings. In a sense, while you're doing that research, you were able to pick apart some some universal indicators for um, intimate partner violence, as well as some individual and, and differences between those countries. We did. We looked at um, so all of those uh, predictors that I talked about at yeah. the start that are known from the literature. We looked at all of those, and then the ones that were significant in each country, we um, sort of modelled to try and and find out which were the strongest predictors. And we found out that you know a higher anger expression, higher depressive symptoms, um, greater number of childhood uh, experiences were associated with perpetrating any kind of violence um, towards your partner in both countries. But physical fighting with another man in the past year was significant in Brazil only, okay. and more hazardous drinking or higher score in the hazardous drinking assessment in England um, was also associated, but not in Brazil, with with um, perpetrating. Okay. And this is any emotional, physical, or sexual violence. And then we also tried to um, we had to put both samples together for this, but we tried to see if there was any difference between the types of um, violence. Um, so was there any difference between the men who perpetrated emotional, physical or or sexual violence? Okay. Um, and I think, you know, compared to people who were never perpetrating any violence, anger or, or being more likely to be anger, having a higher anger expression was associated with emotional and physical violence. Fighting physically with another man was associated with physical um, yeah. IPV perpetration, and um, the you know having a higher number of childhood adversities and and being more likely to be a hazardous drinker were associated with both physical and and sexual intimate partner violence. Okay. So I think that you know, not that I, that I'm excusing um, anyone's behaviour, but there you know there's. A, there's things to think about there with how we deal um, as a society with um, childhood violence yeah. and also with mental health problems among or resulting from childhood violence or among people with um, substance use problems. So when, when, you're, when you're doing uh, research here with uh, perpetrators of intimate partner violence, um, and I guess, uh, as you've said already, that this is often typified by a pattern of behaviour that continues, um, and I guess that, in a sense, mirrors uh, substance misuse, which is you know a pattern of behaviour that continues, which people want to change. Um, what's the research on how people in that pattern of behaviour of perpetrating intimate partner violence, how they are, are able to change or willing to change? Or... Well, I guess that's different for, for different people. Um, and there's a lot of uh, studies, whether it's addiction or... or um mental health, or not, not mental, sorry, intimate partner violence, about motivation for change and making sure people are, mm. are ready. Um, but if you look at uh, the reasons why some people come into, into treatment, um, it's often about a relationship breakdown or you know, the threat of losing contact with children and okay. things like that. So that I guess it can be seen as a, a window of opportunity. Um, so I think that, you know, what we're looking at at the moment about about the interventions that are out there, there's some really good um, examples of good practice going on in in in, uh, in London, where drug treatment services have uh, are working together with um, perpetrator services, and they're developing integrated interventions to to look at both problems simultaneously. Um, at the moment, we've we've been looking at um, doing a systematic review of of, of what works. Um, and it's difficult because if you're doing a systematic review, you're only looking at you know 
really rigorous evidence of yeah. trials. Lots of those are, are, are small trials. They have shown, um, you know, sort of CBT with motivational interviewing, integrated, you know, integrating substance use and um, perpetration type interventions show some promising um, evidence. But there's been reductions in the control groups okay. as well, you know. And again, that's what I was saying. Depending on, it doesn't mean that they they don't work. You know, any change is better than than no change. And um, I guess depending on the the, the type of perpetrator and the severity of, of, of perpetration, um, maybe people need different um, sort of inputs. But thinking about, you know, when we were going back to you know, what's the role of, of substance use, there are some serv- some um, studies that show when you reduce someone's substance use, you reduce the violence, but I guess they might be the people who are having the arguments around the substance use yeah. rather than the controlling, you know, threatening. That. So it's 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 quite as yeah. as we pointed out it's quite complicated um so, but i mean there, there's some modeling population study modeling that shows if you could take away all of the negative consequences from um substance use disorders it's only going to reduce domestic violence perpetration by 14 percent okay so it's, it's not that's i think that's what i want to get across it's not just the substance use it, it's part of the it, story it's part yeah. of, of, of this yeah and addressing that as part of the solution so so those things that you mentioned uh, like CBT and motivational interviewing um, they're kind of uh, talking uh, therapies yeah um, like kind of psychosocial interventions talking therapies where someone might sit down with a a key worker and, and well, they're mostly their... delivered in groups at, at okay. the moment yeah or some are individuals so, yeah, I mean we're just, I'm just basing this on, on the interventions that we've been looking yeah. at what I would like to say at, at the moment in, in that men with substance use problems are um, not often referred to perpetrator services okay. and when they are they're more likely to drop out um, or, or not even turn up so okay. um, that was one of the rationales for starting to think about how we could um, deliver or we, the royal we, how yeah. services could be delivered in, in substance use treatment settings where okay. people already have trust and are... Um, and are working there. We, we've done some work with um, substance use uh, settings and um, domestic violence settings, and you know everyone is well aware of the, the, the relationship between the, the two, but they don't have um, protocols or you know clear referral pathways okay. or guidance of what to do with that. And even looking at the NICE guidance, uh, substance use isn't really uh, a feature okay. of that, or, or or treatment for people with substance use. Although they, you know, they highlight the need, a need there. And I guess especially when, um, you know, it sounds like there's also a need to link in with mental health services quite yep. regularly with that. And yep. I'm I'm guessing that has a similar um, difficulty or yeah, challenge. So. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what's happening uh, next? What What does the future of intimate partner violence research look like? Well, for us, um, we've recently been awarded a five-year programme grant from the okay. NIHR, uh, which we've called Advancing Theory and Treatment Approaches for um, Men in Substance Use Treatment who Perpetrate Intimate Partner Violence. And we are looking at developing evidence to... Um, or we are developing evidence to, to develop and test uh, an integrated intervention. So that's something looking at substance use and intimate partner violence perpetration to be delivered in a, in a substance use treatment setting um, to reduce violence among men, but also support their partners and ex-partners um, to increase, I guess, their safety and, and well-being. We've done separate interviews in the past with women who've experienced violence or men who have perpetrated violence, 
uh, from drug treatment services, but this time we're recruiting men, and then uh, so men who um, screen positive for uh, domestic violence, uh, and then we're also trying to interview their partners. Um, okay. So for the first time, we're looking at um, dyad interviews to see, I guess, to get a better. Um, or a more yeah a, a better understanding of what's happening in in the relationship. Um, you know, D- dyad interview. Yeah, so the both partners. Okay. okay. Dyad two ah, two okay. people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And sometimes more than two people. Yes, because ah. we're looking at partners and ex partners ah. as well. If if we're able to get a, okay. get in touch with them. Um, so if people were interested in hearing more about the, the Advanced Programme grant and, and our findings as they um, come about, they could follow our blog or subscribe to our blog, which I'm going to plug shamelessly, which is blogs.kcl.ac.uk forward slash advance forward slash. We'll, we'll put a link on the um, okay, even better. podcast as well. And um, as well as our own research um, on there, we are also happy to um, publicise events and um, reports and papers, uh, newspaper articles, debates, anything that, that people are interested in, in, in posting, we'd be happy to, um, to put up and, and contribute to, to the discussion and I guess the advancing of treatment approaches um, for this population. Fantastic. Yeah, it's it, it, fascinating work um, uh, and such an important area as well. So thank you. Really do get in touch. Um, okay. Um, is there anything that you want to add? No. Okay. Well, thanks ever so much for your time, uh, Gail. Um, yeah. Hopefully, we'll be back soon um, with some more interviews. Excellent. So, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.